break this morning from our, our series in John's Gospel this week and next. So I hope it's not much of a distraction having me here and Brother Tony next week. I hope it's a blessing to the congregation. It certainly has been a blessing to me to, to prepare the message. So before we begin, if you would join me in, in prayer. Father, we ask for the power of your Holy Spirit to be with us. We ask that you give us, give us understanding of your inherent word. We pray that the, the messenger, that I might not be a distraction, but that your message would be clearly spoken and understood, Lord. Give us applications that we can apply to our lives, bringing you glory as we walk on this earth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are over one million high school football players in the country. You guys could probably figure I was going to talk about football up here, right? The college football season coming up. But of those one million high school football players, about 35 of them each year are considered to be what they call five-star recruits. That's about 0.01% of those players. Well, Bobby was a five-star recruit coming out of high school. All the Power Five conferences wanted Bobby. He was, he, was a, he was a high recruit. Even before he went in high school, they were keeping an eye on Bobby. Bobby had the right size, the right talent. Statistically, he was going to be a star. They were even thinking of him going into the NFL maybe before his fourth year in college. Bobby had everything going for him. For four years, he was traveling around the country. They were flying him around, to treating him like a superstar before he had even proven himself. Going to all these big games and preseason practices and camps. He finishes his high school career. He's 48 and 0. He's got three state championships under his belt. And now it's time for him to, to decide on a college. He's got it narrowed down to three or four and... The media is all predicting where he's going to go and why he's going to go there. And he finally signs with the college, big school. And all of a sudden the rankings come out and that school is, is ranked now to be one of the top four before the season even starts because Bobby's coming and he's filling a slot that they need. He's got the talent they need to make their team go, go, over, go over and above, to be, be one of those top teams, to make it to the championship. First season starts and ends, and Bobby never steps on the field. Bobby never takes a snap. After that first year, he moves on to another, again, Power 5 conference school. Never takes a snap. Bobby's starting to fade in the news now. He moves his junior year to a Division II school, a smaller school. And we never hear from Bobby again. And though Bobby may be a fictional character I'm making up, of course, but this happens. It happens in, in life, in business. It happens in sports where someone has all the talent in the world and people are expecting so much of them, but they never make it. See, Bobby's problem was he wasn't a team player. He wanted to do things his way. He wasn't going to play by the, the team's playbook. He didn't want to do what the coach did. Through his career, he was making it. He was doing fine his way all along, and now he came to a different level of play, and Bobby didn't want to change. 
Well, we could look at Christianity, or I'm going to look at Christianity today as a team sport. You might have heard the term that there's no Lone Ranger Christian, right? We all have a position to play. We all have been given spiritual gifts. First Peter says, in chapter 4, verse 10, he says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards. Romans 12, 4 through 6a says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members are of members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. So what Paul's talking about here in Romans is just that we are we are one body, we are a team. And each of us having having our own part to play. Each of us been given a gift by God, have our own part to play. Whether it's to be at the pulpit, and I'm not saying my gift is to be at the pulpit, but that's where they called me this morning. But whether it's to be at the pulpit or be in the nursery, or to be a, a deacon taking care of our building. Or whatever our gift is, God has given each of us a gift and we all play our part. Whether it's on a football team and it's whether you're blocking for the quarterback or you're the running back. We all have a part to play and in order to have a successful team, we must all play our part. We must play by according to the playbook and that playbook is the gospel. And our coach is Jesus Christ. So when we humble ourselves, when we work towards serving others rather than ourselves and doing things our way... That's when we become successful. A famous quote by my favorite coach, and those of you that know me well would know who that is. He's talking to his players, and he says this to them at the beginning of his talk. He asks them a question. He says, how do you pray? He says, do you pray to be blessed, or do you pray to be a blessing? And what he was getting at is here, are you Are you praying that you're a superstar or are you praying how you can do your job well to help the rest of the team? And I think that's what we need to do as Christians. Not not worry about what the other guy or other sister is doing, but what can I do to build up Christ's church? How can I be a blessing to the body of Christ? Any team or any business or Christ's church could be filled with the most talented people but if we don't all play our part, if we don't all do and, 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 and take the gifts that God has given us and, and play them out, we're going to fail. An office full of the best lawyers is not going to be a good law firm if they don't work together as a team. In a church filled with the best Christians, the most knowledgeable Christians, if they all want to come and preach, that church is not going to succeed. There's not going to be unity there. So the title of the message this morning, it's actually a quote from Martin Luther. Peace if possible, but truth at all costs. The church is is one body, united by one spirit, and directed by one gospel. And I think what what Brother Luther was saying here is, is we want peace, we want unity. But if there's someone or something that comes in that breaks 
breaks up that unity, it's got to go because we cannot waver, we can't drift from the one true gospel. That is something that, that can't be moved or can't go away. The psalmist says in 133.1, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Sometimes it's pride and selfishness, horizontal distractions, not focused on God, that cause many teams to fail, many churches to fail. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians this morning. It'll be a bit of a review. We did it a little over a year ago. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. And in Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, he describes through this letter what the church should look like. The church should be a, a holy church, a united church, a loving church. And the church should reflect the, characters of, the characteristics of God. That's what we should look like as a church. So as we look at this scripture this morning, we need to remember one thing, and it's, it's said a lot from this pulpit, that, that this scripture is not written to us. It's written to a first century church in Corinth. But we could take from this, and we could learn from it. And I think looking at how Corinth was back then, and how the world in the United States is now, I think we'll see a lot of similarities and a lot of things that we can take from from this scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and reproof, for correction and for teaching of righteousness. So this, again, wasn't written to Peace Community Church in Frankfurt in 2023, but I'm going to pull out, and I think you'll see easily... What we, can, what we can learn from this. So if you would open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, starting in chapter 1, verse 1, and we'll go to verse 17. I'll read the scripture, and as we do each week, I'll break it down verse by verse. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Synostasis, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those in every place, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no division among you, but that you be united in the same mind and same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? 
Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So if you remember back when we, when we studied our, the book of 1 Corinthians, I believe our theme was about a raw church. This, this church living in, in, this, um, in this melting pod, this, this worldly melting pod. And, and here's Paul that plants this, this church in Corinth, and they were raw Christians, right? They were brand new. They knew nothing about the gospel. And even as he writes the letter, you've got to understand, they didn't have the New Testament. All they had was Old Testament scripture and what Paul was teaching them. So, so as Kurt was teaching us through this, he kept reminding us, this is a raw church. So they were making some mistakes. But we could see now we've got much more resources than they have, but we'll see the same mistakes being made in what some call the church today. So we come to Corinth in Acts 18, this is on Paul's second missionary journey. And again, it's this wealthy melting pot of different cultures, philosophies, and lifestyles. Uh, a lot of uh, paganism in, 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 in these uh, idol temples up. And a lot of them with what they called Corinthian girls. They would use prostitutes as part of their worship. It was just a crazy, crazy city. But it was worldly. People accepted it. People enjoyed it. It was uh, referred to by one commentator as if you took Las Vegas, New York, and L.A. and wrapped it all in one. So it's during Paul's third missionary journey. He's in Ephesus now when he responds to the, to the letter from Chloe and her people um, with, with this letter of 1 Corinthians. And we're not going to get into it, but if you go further, it's actually a second letter that was written. But we, we just have 1 Corinthians here. So let's go to, to, to verse 1 here. It's Paul's introduction. He says, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother uh, Sosthenes. And what Paul is doing here is he's, he's saying, I'm not giving you just some advice. I'm not saying... This is how I would do it. He's saying, I'm, a, I'm an apostle. I was called by God. The words I'm giving you are that of Jesus Christ. This isn't my opinion. I'm not just like anybody else, but I'm an apostle. This is the word of God. This is how you do it. Not an, not an opinion on how you do it. Not a choice on how you do it. But me being an apostle, this is the way it's got to happen. This is the gospel. This is what Luther was talking about. We don't, we don't move from the truth. And Synopsis was a synagogue leader there in Corinth. And, and if you go back to Acts 18, he was one that, when they wanted to kill Paul, he, he ended up being beaten, part of the uh, pro-council there. Verse 2, it says, and this, this has a lot in it, verse 2. We'll, we'll break this down a little bit. It says, to the church of God in Corinth... To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those 
<clears throat> excuse me, who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So the first piece I, I look at there, sanctified in Christ Jesus. And as I'm looking at the ESV version, English Standard. But if you look at the NIV, it says holy in Christ Jesus. But in other words, we're set apart. We're different than. You're, you're different than those in the city. You're different than your old self, the old way of life. You're set apart in Christ Jesus. And then he says you're called to be saints. Called, confirming that it's not your doing. It's God that called you. It's God that brought you into this, this new kingdom, this new way of life. As scripture says, we're born again. You're out of the old ways in the old world, and now you're in this new world. And here's, here's a, an exciting part again. This is where it connects us in 2023 to first century Corinth. He says, together with all those who in every place. And here what Paul's talking about is all the churches there in the first century, but it talks about us too, together with all those in every place, meaning us. All those who were called by God, this is, this is a, a warning and instruction to them. It says in Ephesus 4, 4 through 6, that there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father, of all who is over all, and through all, and in all. Well, that same one spirit, one body, one baptism, one God for all, includes us. And then in verse 3, he basically sums up verse 2. He says, being sanctified, being set apart, called, and united together... It's grace from God, he says. Grace and peace from God. So he's saying, I didn't give you this. This isn't from me. This is from God. So in in his introduction, he he says, this is what you got, and it's from God. And now he gives them thanksgiving in verses 4 through 9. So he's got this problem to tackle about unity. And this is something interesting that we can learn. We can learn it in our daily lives. We can learn it in our our parenting, or our, our just working with a friend or anybody, but he's got a problem to tackle. And he finds, well, we can find from Paul's example here that it could be more effective when we confront others with some positive news rather than just, just jamming them with, with the problem they got. So people are more likely to, to, to give us their attention when we approach them in a way that shows that we have love and compassion for them and so here he mentions some of the good things in their lives before, before just tackling the problem. He goes in 4 and 5 and he says, I'm thankful by God's grace that you have been built up in speech and knowledge. In verse 7 he says, you're not lacking of any gifts. 8 and 9 he says that God is faithful and he will sustain you to the end. So he's saying you got everything you need. It's been given to you. you. You guys got it all. It's not like you're waiting for something or you need to build something up. He's saying you guys got it all. You got everything you need. But now Paul, like a frustrated captain, he says, okay, we got everything we need on this team, but now we got to take a time out here, right? You guys are bickering. You guys aren't doing this right. We got all the assets we need to have a successful church here, but, but something's wrong. So in verse 10 he says, I appeal to your brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no division among you, but that you be united in the same mind and same judgment. 
So Paul makes this request now, this urgent request, that the church unite in the name of Jesus Christ. Their lack of unity was obvious. They may have been, you know, all wearing the same uniform, but they were hurting themselves as a church as much as the enemy was. They were destroying themselves as much as as the enemy was destroying them. They were arguing over things like position and things like who can participate in different sacraments and and things like uh, who who was the captain of the team? Who am I going to follow? They had different loyalties to different people. They had it all wrong. So so Paul calls this time out and he gives gives it to him straight now. He talks about Chloe in verse 11, that her people are the ones who who reported this quarreling. And the only thing we know about Chloe, I think this is the only time she's mentioned in Scripture, it tells us by the fact that he uses her only her first name, tells us that she was probably familiar to them. They would know who Chloe is when he puts her in the letter. And she was obviously an acquaintance of Paul um, as that he mentions her. In verse 12, he says, what I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, or Christ. They were arguing which teacher was the best. And we see this today in in churches too. Paul probably had the loyalists. Paul Paul established the church there. He had the loyalists. Apollos probably had the, the elites or the intellectuals. Um, Peter probably had the Jews, Cephas. He probably had the Jews. So they all had their loyalty to their teacher or preacher or the one who baptized them. Their loyalty wasn't to Christ. And if you look at the first ten verses, he mentions Jesus ten times. So I think it's easy to see where, where Paul wanted the emphasis to go. He wanted it to go on Jesus, not the preacher, not the messenger. Jesus' message, and Jesus is more important and more powerful than any message or messenger that a human can bring. It needs to be Jesus and his message. He says in verse 13, Christ is not divided. Paul was not crucified. And he goes on with this, which you see in a lot of Paul's writing, where it's almost, almost sarcastic Paul talking. He says, uh, thank God I, you know, I only baptized one person. I don't know, maybe I baptized somebody else. But Paul was saying, this isn't the point. He, he said, there seems to be allegiance to people who baptized you. He says, our allegiance, again, must be to Christ, not our preacher. You know, focus on, on the message. It's the message about Christ and from Christ. That's where Paul is getting here, getting at here. And finally, in verse 17, he says, Christ didn't send me to baptize. He sent me to preach the gospel. And not with words of elegant wisdom or, 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 or uh, what do you say, elegant wisdom or, or, or otherwise it empties the power of Christ. So what Paul was saying is, first of all, he wasn't saying that baptism wasn't important. When he said, I didn't come to baptize, it is important. It was a command of, of Jesus, right? What Paul is saying is that not one man does everything. Again, we all have our gifts. So Paul was saying his gift and his, his main focus was on bringing the gospel. That's what he's saying. And it doesn't take an elegant speaker, a good-looking speaker. It doesn't take uh, fancy lights or a fancy stage or props to bring the true word of God. Paul was saying God's message is God's message, and that's the power in, in bringing the gospel. 
We don't need, we don't need side effects. We don't need to, to brighten up God's message. Just bring the true message is what Paul was saying. So to sum this up, the principle or the, the, the summary of, of these 17 verses is allegiance to Christ alone brings unity to the church and anyone or anything that breaks that allegiance needs to go. Kind of goes with our, with our theme here. Peace if possible, truth at all cost. So Paul wants us to be excited and united about the gospel message. Any church or preacher bringing anything other than the truth is not a servant of God. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Then, and certainly now, this is where we could see some similarities to the, to the church then and the churches then, but now some teachers either don't know the truth, they have other motives, or maybe they think they got a better way than God's plan of bringing the gospel. But they bring into the church things like gender identity, same-sex marriage, things that they think is going to make Christ's church better. And, and that's not the way to go. Again, peace if possible, but truth at all costs. We don't change the way God instructed us to bring the gospel. We don't add things and say, well, if God was around, if Jesus came back in 2023, look at the world, I think he would, he would allow for this. No, Jesus is never changing. God is never changing. We bring the gospel the same as Paul brought it to the church in Corinth. Some preachers today are becoming so inspiring and so big that they, they may not even realize it, but they're drifting from the gospel. Some churches become so impresses, impressive that they lose focus on Christ. The listeners become so attracted to the messenger or the elements of the worship, the band or the, the cafe mocha coffee shops they have, that they lose focus on Christ. And people in the churches forget or ignore or those newcomers never even come to know the real gospel because they're not hearing it from the pulpit. Bobby was a distraction to each of the teams he went to. He wasn't willing to submit to the coach's plan or the playbook, and he was jeopardizing the whole team. And rightfully so, the teams pushed him out. In Corinth, there was a simple fix here. Just do what the coach says. Do what Jesus says. Play by his playbook, the gospel. That was the simple fix. And as you continue through 1 Corinthians, Paul picks apart, picks apart particular, um, particular problems that they had. But the simple fix was follow Christ and follow his gospel. So let me ask this then. What are some things, Monday through Saturday, some things that distract you from being the person Christ has called you to be. We live in a world similar to, to Corinth, is how I see it. What, what distracts you from being that person that Christ called you to be? It could be our music we listen to or the TV shows we watch. We look at this world now and it's all influenced by, by sex and you got to be better than everybody and you got to look good and this and that and that all influences our mind. So... 
What are you reading? What are you watching? What are you listening to? Are you reading your Bible every day? Are you being influenced by that? There's so much good, good sermons that solid sermons we can listen to or teachings we can listen to rather than the, the, the baloney that's on the radio or the, the talk shows we listen to. What about the people you're spending time with? Are you, are you spending time with the same people you were spending time with before Christ called you? Are you only a Christian on Sunday? Have you joined a small group or a Bible study? Are you a Christian for two hours a week? What are you still hanging on to? What are you still doing that you know God would love for you to give up? What are you not willing to give up for Christ? This is sanctification, right? We become different. We become more like Christ. And it's bit by bit, piece by piece. Remember, Bobby was not willing to change. Are you afraid of what people might think? If all of a sudden I tell them, no, on Wednesday I've got to go to my Bible study or I'm doing this, what, what are they going to think if all of a sudden, not only Sunday am I going to church, but now I'm doing this? With the help of the Holy Spirit and brothers and sisters in Christ, you can overcome these distractions. And just piece by piece, bit by bit, start small. Start with something small that even you think is easy. And give it a try. And when you see it work, take the next step and, and shed yourself of something else that you know Christ wants gone in your life. And when you come to church on Sunday, let me ask this, what do you expect when you come to Sunday service? What are you hoping for? Are you, are you hoping that they play the songs you like? Are you hoping that the guitar is on key or the piano is on key? Is there a, a dynamic message? I hope I feel that when I leave, that I feel that, that good feeling when I leave. Or are you hoping to come and worship God with all your heart and soul? I hope your answer is number three, because that's why we come to Sunday worship. We come to worship God for, for the grace that he's given us. To allow us to come and worship him. To allow us to know him. And to thank him for his, for his gifts he's given us. Particularly of salvation. At Sunday service, what distracts you? It could say, I should say, how do you prepare for Sunday service? We should be preparing even the day before in some instances. Are you, are you leaving the house in the morning yelling for the wife or, or the husband to hurry up because you want to stop at Starbucks on the way? Or are, in, are you in the right mindset when you're coming to church so that you're, you're at peace, at calm, knowing what you're coming for, knowing that you're coming to worship the King of Kings, God Almighty, above the heavens? Are you in that mindset or does it take till the second song before you, you get in that mindset? Those are easy things. If, if it's a rush out in the morning and you're not prepared to come worship, that's something easy. Take, take a shower the night before, wake up 15 minutes before. Does the music distract you? Does the guy or the lady behind you who sings off-key distract you? Let those things not distract us from, from what our true call to worship is. And then finally, how do you know if you're getting a solid message or not? Again, a dynamic speaker to a new believer can, can draw them in. How do we know if the message is true or not? Well, we check it out, right? We read our Bible. We, we join a Bible study. 
We join small groups. Otherwise, a dynamic speaker can draw you in. So check out what we're... Inspect what you expect. And what you should expect is the truth. So you've got to inspect it and not just take the word from, from any man at the pulpit. Let's pray. Father, we sometimes ignore